0: I want to talk about an unpopular Christian concept today. Obedience and humility. And you're thinking, "Well, why is that unpopular?" You know? Because we have to give up control. Anybody been there? And and I really think that that the call to humility and the call to be obedient to God and to one another is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for those outside of the church because of the nature of our of our self-interest. Of our self-interest. I, I, I will say, though, that sometimes it works to our benefit. Uh, I had a f- funny experience this morning. Uh, I've been uh watch, really watching my diet over the last year and a half, um, trying to stay away from sweets. I eat oatmeal every morning. It was a little bit of a rush this morning, and so I, I didn't get it at home. I was going to stop at McDonald's. So I ordered oatmeal. It's really great oatmeal, by the way. And and they didn't pay me to say that. Um, and so I ordered it, stopped to get it, paid for it, drove around the corner, opened the bag, And there were two apple turnovers. (laughs) Now, my first thought was to go back through the line and demand my oatmeal, I mean, uh, to ask politely for my oatmeal. And then I thought, what if God wants me to eat these? Should I not, in humility and under obedience, And so that's what I did. And they were really good. I hadn't had apple turnovers in so long. It was absolutely incredible. I can still taste them in the back of my mouth. Of course, you know I'm joking. We are called to obedience. We're called to humility. And chapter 2 of Philippians is about humility and obedience. And we're going to work through that this morning. If you have your Bible with you, um, get ready to open it up when I get to that portion of the, of the uh, sermon. But let me just begin to talk about what this means in our society. For example, um, it is a well-known concept that players in sports win games. Teams win championships. Players win games, teams win championships. And it's not just true of sports. When we look at organizations, for example, an, uh, an orchestra. An orchestra that, that plays with unity and plays with dependence upon each other, that plays with one voice is a great orchestra. Now, occasionally there is a solo that is that comes here or there in, in, in their presentation, but The beauty of the orchestra is all of the different instruments, even playing different notes in their harmony. None more important than the other. Every organization, for example, is founded by a a, a genius or a group of geniuses. But that organization will not survive without the support and buy-in and cooperation of those within the organization as it goes forward to fulfill that original vision. It is in humility that the founder has to admit his dependence or her dependence upon those who come alongside. Each of us can remember a special teacher that... Uh, that taught us values and or maybe lived an example, and, and yet our education, though we might depend upon those values, we might depend upon what that teacher taught us. Our education was not dependent upon that one person. Our education is the, the totality of, of many who contributed to us, and that teacher depended upon Many others that supported him or her in their efforts. We Westerners, we we struggle to think and to act in step with the concept of humility and obedience to one another. We we want to be independent, we want to be uh, in control. And that's because, you know, down deep inside of us, it, and it really permeates our society, there are tendencies, you know, the three that I can name, a friend of mine calls them the unholy trinity, uh, autonomy, self-sufficiency, and our perceived uniqueness, you know, That we want to live out our autonomy. We want people to see our uniqueness. And, of course, we all want to be self-sufficient and not dependent upon others. And yet, it is the way we are made. Dependent and interlocked with each other. And and, and really, we we live this kind of challenge and and tension in the church because, because the Christian faith... The Christian faith in one way is an individual activity. It is a, a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Our our, our prayer times, our our individual seeking of God in those private moments, that is individual in nature. And yet by itself it is incomplete and it is not and it and it does not allow us to go deeper because it is being a part of the body, the community. Where we really grow, a part of worship, where we join with other voices and feel the Holy Spirit that is with us in this place. It is it is the opportunity to hear from a teacher who can challenge us or, or, or to be a part of a group that 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 gives us different insights. It is the support that we offer another and we receive. And it is humility that allows us to receive that support. Knowing, as our, as our values say, that we are better together. We can go deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ when we are together. As different as we are, we complete each other. Now, now I know... You know, that the human ego is working constantly against this. And it's been a problem since Adam and Eve. Because Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, they, they thought they knew best. You know, and I don't know what was going through Adam and Eve's mind. Maybe they thought, as we would, I, I, at least I do, maybe you don't think this way, did God really mean that? Have you ever played that game with God? Did God really mean that? Because it's really better for me. And you know what? That's our ego talking. Like the stubborn three-year-old who says, I can do it myself. But we can't. We need each other. And so this morning we're going to look at the words of Paul from chapter 2. As he speaks to this very topic. Now, as we move into it, I, w- I want to say that, that Philippians is the crown jewel of, of all the churches that Paul started. Um, he, Philippians gave him the least amount of problems. They were, they were the ones that, that really lived, what, uh, lived the gospel. But I, I think what Paul is doing here is in one way he is complimenting them on how they are exhibiting these qualities... And at the same time, reminding them that they must be always before us because our human tendency and sin is to drift to self. So, in chapter two, Paul outlines the why, the what, and the how of humility and obedience. Why should I walk this way in community with others? What are the marks? of this life, and how do I walk this way in my life? Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our redeemer. May these words be your words. And for all that I don't speak, O God, would you fill in the gaps? For all that I misspeak, would you correct in our hearts? Hide me behind the cross that your word would be clear this day. Father, son, and holy spirit. Amen. Paul opens the letter to the church of Philippi, but in typical fashion, he greets them, he encourages them, he prays for them. And he in this case he shares his faith. In fact, what he says is that famous passage for me to live is Christ to die is gain. And what Paul is doing is he is setting up what is coming in chapter 2 by saying You know what? It doesn't matter whether I live or die. It doesn't matter what is ahead of me. What matters is how well I follow and exhibit the ways of Jesus. And so with verse 1, Paul begins with, If then. Now, if you know anything about Paul's letters... Anytime Paul begins a paragraph with if, know that something important and impactful is following. If you go back through the letters and you begin to take the teachings of Paul, they all begin with if, or if then. Or this could actually be translated since. The same thing. If... There is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy. If. Now, what we know of of, of the, the church at Philippi, it's not if. They are. So really a better translation here is since. Since there is encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, the sharing of the Spirit, which by the way... Sharing there is koinonia, which means community. Any community of the Spirit, compassion and sympathy. Why should we walk this way? Because this is the place where we receive encouragement. This is the place where we receive love and compassion. This is the place where we receive a community that is not about what I want but about what we are this is the place of compassion and sympathy and, and, and Paul says these words in such a way as to, to both as I said both affirm as well as warn because it is so easy for us as a body and organization to lose this This is our why. This is who we are. To be community, to be encouragers, to show love, to have compassion, and to share sympathy. This is who we are. This is our why. With verse 2, he begins the what. Okay. This is the why. This is why we are who we are. So, what does it look like? And he says here, make my joy complete. In other words, when you do this, it makes me really, really happy. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind, and then really tough. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourself. Let each of you look not at your own interest, but to the interest of others. I was working with a couple one time that uh, I, I, I really needed to, uh, to uh, refer them out because their, their problems were way, and I, and I did so, because the problems were way beyond me. But I did ask the question at one point, and I won't tell you whether it was the husband or the wife, but I did ask the question do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And, and the answer was not, I want, but the answer was, I am right and happy. <laughs> and the, the other spouse said, see there? <laughs> Make my joy complete. Be like-minded, like loved, like soul or of one accord, and of the same purpose, of one mind. Like minded, the same love, of one accord, of one mind. You know, we do not, this does not mean that we should think alike. This does not mean that we should uh, have the same personalities. This should not mean that we have the same abilities. That's not what Paul is referring to here. He's not saying, how can I be more like Cindy Palmer? Which I know some of you are probably thinking, man, I wish he was more like Cindy. Um, It doesn't mean that we should say, I wish I was more like this person. It's not about our comparison of each other. It's about our comparison to Christ. That is our model. For though we are different in so many ways, it is Christ who unites us. And as we strive to be like Jesus, so we are united. And that it is in that unity that we become the strongest. And it's the same, it's true, with every other organization. I mean, teams, they walk on the field, they're in different shapes, they have different abilities, they play different positions, but they have one goal. And orchestras, I mentioned earlier, they have one goal. An organization, I could go on and on. It's not about Being the same, it is about following our Lord. Unity in the Christian faith is achieved by our focus on Christ. That's what Paul's saying. What are the marks of this life? To be like Jesus. And our differences are united in Christ. And Paul says this, and it's not the only place that he says in his letters. He says this again and again because our tendency is to want to be in control, to want it our way, to think that we are the right ones. And that's to say, you know, sometimes the truth speaks the truth speaks and, and we do disagree but I, what I believe Paul is saying here is that we should disagree in such a way that builds up the person and we focus on the actual differences we build each other up so that we might be able to work in harmony with each other. And by the way, this is not just a lesson for the church. Uh, This is a lesson for every organization, for every family, for, (laughs) for any situation where there is more than one person. Humility and respect for one another is what drives organizations. I've had the opportunity over the last 20 years, actually, but I did it full-time for, for four years of teaching and, and, and uh, uh, leading uh, seminars and workshops on uh, management and leadership. And, and so I was constantly reading the articles. You know what's coming out of the secular study groups like Harvard and McKinsey and Cornell and Stanford is they're teaching what Paul is teaching, that the great leaders, the great managers, are those who seek to understand those that they work with. The great leaders and the, and, the, and the great managers are those who see themselves first as servants, not to be first served. And the more that they lift up those around them... the more people want to follow him. And Paul's been teaching this for 2,000 years. They just get it now? Jesus is the ultimate example. So, why? Because we have a place to belong, a place to be loved, a place that uh, accepts us for who we are. A place where we can share compassion, as well as receive it. A place where we can be in sympathy with one another. How? How by giving up our need to be in control and our need to uh, to be at the top, and rather to treat others as more important than ourselves. To lift each other up in the name of Jesus. What? To be like Christ Himself. You see, here's the deal with Jesus. Um, Jesus is part of the Godhead. He's divine, all right? And when he came as the son of God, he didn't give any of that up. He was still the son of God. He had all the authority and all the power that he had always had. But he didn't use it for his own benefit. Take a look at the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Read the stories of Jesus. And see what Jesus is all about. Jesus is all about lifting up others. Using his authority. Using his power for us. Because he loves us. And he calls us to the same work. So I'm just kind of a couple of questions. In your families, maybe in our committees here, or our boards, or our Sunday school classes, or our small groups, uh, in the ways that we work together. How are we like Jesus? How are we lifting each other up? How are we... In the name of Jesus Christ, loving each other in spite of ourselves and in spite of each other. And how can we keep this ever before us in everything we do, in everything we say? So, in summary, why should I live the gospel? Because the gospel has provided for us encouragement, love, community, compassion, and sympathy. How does one live the gospel? By being of one mind, of one soul, of one love, and of one purpose, which is Jesus Christ. And what, what does it look like? Putting Jesus Christ first. And the result of living this gospel. Is that we can face any future. With hope. Confidence. And the assurance that God through Jesus Christ is with us. For there is nothing. Jesus says not even the gates of hell. That shall prevail against us. When we are one in the spirit, when we are one in love, when we are one in the name of Jesus Christ, let us with all that we have make it so. Let us make it so.